We, uh, I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, we've got a, a great uh, crowd for a very snowy day, and uh, we're glad you're here. We're, um, we're going to worship this morning. Uh, we're going to, it's going to be a little different layout, but what I want to do is um, talk a little bit, and we'll, we'll dig into Scripture. Mike's not here this morning. Oh, by the way, I'm, my name's Jared. I feel like I need to introduce myself because I am not wearing flip-flops this morning. I am wearing shoes, and they are bright and shiny. Christmas present, thank you very much. I got a lot of shoes for Christmas. I don't know if someone's trying to tell me something or what. Um, but uh, Mike's in Africa, our pastor, and, uh, and, and God's doing amazing things over there. And so uh, we're going to dig into the Word this morning a little bit and, uh, and sing some and pray some and dig into the Word a little bit and sing some and pray, uh, pray some. And we're just going to praise the Lord this morning. Um, one of the things I want to talk about this morning as, uh, as we see what losing your balance can look like. Um, we don't want to lose our balance in worship. And I want to present a couple of, of, of uh, two sides of God that I feel like we, we pretty well understand if we are a believer. One of those sides, and, and many of us, uh, we have a lopsided view of who God is and who we worship. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a warped view um, that is either passed down from family um, or past uh, sermons or, you know, um, just our own experience and what, how we view Scripture. Um, but we want to make sure that when we worship in this time that we're worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Amen. Um, not, a, not a God that's created or made up from, um, from our own conjuring or ideas or anything like that. There's plenty of those gods out there. Um, this is the one true holy God, and we want to know him um, so that we can worship him. So we're going to talk about balance in our worship. Um, I want you, we're going to have a lot of scripture this morning, go through a lot, but um, we will open our, our Bibles, and let's go to Exodus 15. Um, Exodus chapter 15 is cool because it is the first song recorded in scripture. And uh, many of you may have not know that's good trivia, Bible trivia sometime. The first song of God's people recorded in scriptures in Exodus 15 and was sung by Israel after the Lord had defeated the army of Egypt. Okay? And so after describing this event, the Jews sang, and they said in 15 verse 11, Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? And the emphasis in this verse at the beginning of this song, um, the Israelites is, and, and I'm going to, here's a big word here, and, and I'm going to explain. Uh, I try to use a different word. I promise I like to dumb things down, um, you know, just for my own sake so that I can understand. But this is a, a, a good word. This verse 11 talks about the transcendence of God, okay? Uh, and you've got a blank sheet of paper on the back of your bulletin. If you want to write, just write some notes and try to spell it out. Transcendence of God. I try to use the transcendence of God is, is this idea and the reason that word is so good because there's, there's no other word that can replace it, but a lot of words can add to it. He's a cosmic God. He's a huge God. As you saw in verse 11, he's majestic and holy and above everything else and, and working wonders. He's this big transcendent God. And so um, the emphasis was on the transcendence of God in verse 11. But then later in the song in verse 13, the Israelites talk about a different side of God. In verse 13, it says, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. And all of a sudden, it goes from this transcendent, big, holy, majestic God to this, and here's our other word for today, an imminent God. An imminent God is a God who is close, who stoops down to be with his creation, to be with his people, to extend love to us and grace and mercy. 
And so those are our two words today. We're going to be talking about those two words quite a bit. And I'm sorry about the big, you know, they're, they're good Scrabble words, but they're not really good words and, you know, in the whole understanding of things. But transcendent and imminent. God is both transcendent and imminent. Um, we see it all over Scripture, a balance in worship. Um, look at Psalm 147.3 on the screen. It says that he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. What God, what side of God you, would you say it is, transcendent or imminent? We're not there yet. Okay, I'll, I'll, we'll get there. He's, that's, that's the imminence of God, okay? He heals the brokenhearted. He cares so much that every broken heart, he will heal and he'll bind up their wombs. And then the wombs, not wombs, sorry. Uh, and then the very next verse, Psalm 147.4, says that he determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. The imminent, close God and the transcendent, big, awesome God. Matthew 1.23 says that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, right? We heard that especially throughout the Christmas season. Emmanuel means God with us. And then Ephesians 1.20-23 describes Jesus as being seated at the Father's right hand in the heavenlies. So we have this God who is with us, but also seated in the heavenlies. We don't even understand what heaven is. We don't know what that looks like. Out somewhere in another dimension, um, Jesus is there. We have to understand and know God to truly worship Him. And I think that that is... Um, for the most part, that is where we miss it, um, is, is having an unbalanced view of God. And trans, the, the transcendent uh, view, okay, uh, this God or this huge God cosmic side of him is, is, is all him. The imminent, close, near, personal God is all him. But when we serve one and not the other, then we're not coming to him in spirit and in truth. And we kind of create this warped view. Okay, let me explain a little bit more. Um, and, and I'll just kind of lump this in, and so nobody get offended about this. Um, but on the, the transcendent side of God, the big holy side of God, um, the older generation is, is very um, aware of that. And, and that's just that's kind of normally some of those older churches and, and older believers, they really truly have down that whole um, cosmic um, side of God that he's big. Uh, I, you know, I stand in all of you, standing on holy ground, this reverence, right, of God. Um, but the results of, a, of an unbalanced view of God, if you just worship this transcendent God, a cosmic God, then here's a, here's a few um, problems that, that arise from that. Maybe you'll find um, some of your struggles in this. You can't have a relationship with a God that's only transcendent. You can't have a relationship with God who, uh, you know, how can you have a relationship with something that you have if he's just holy, just reverent, just out there, God of this universe, how can you have relationship with him? Um, when you just only serve a cosmic transcendent God, um, grace doesn't make sense. Um, why would this God, who cre- the creator of everything, um, and being holy and set apart, why would he extend his grace and his love and his mercy to his creation? Um, why would he even bother with that? Um, you, you, you start to create a hard heart. Um, it's a heart that you all of a sudden realize that you can't attain something, um, that you can't, you have no relationship, you don't really know him, and so um, that heart just starts to become hard and not soft and gentle. Um, and then it becomes works because 
you see this God who is out there and he's holy and you know that that's what you're supposed to be. And so you just start working towards that. There's no grace. There's, there's no mercy. There's no love. You just works, 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 works. And you try to attain, you know, and try to get as close as you can to this transcendent God. And then you realize you can't get to the transcendent God. So your heart becomes hard. And so you kind of start to see that. And, and, and again, forgive me, but I see um, the older generation very aware of that. I see our younger generation very aware of the imminent God. But a lot of times in an unbalanced way. If you only worship a close and imminent God, truth becomes relative. If there's no holy God who has a standard, then, then all of a sudden no absolute truth. And truth is relative to you and to me. If he's just this side-by-side on the same level as me kind of God, then we can kind of start making up our own rules. Um, you can't handle things, get this, that happen outside of your control. You know, if you have this guy that's kind of on the same level as you, right, we're talking near, close, buddy, you know, friend of God, um, then how do you explain September 11th? If there's not a God who has everything in control and you don't view him as that, how do you explain Nazi Germany? How do you explain your, your mother, your father, your grandparent that died too soon, that didn't deserve to, you know, maybe be in that, in that car wreck or the child that was never born that should have been born? How do you explain those things? Unless there is this transcendent, big, and holy God. If all you're focused on is, God's my friend, you know, he's lover of my soul, he's near. And I'm not saying those are negative things, but if that's all it is, then we can't, we can't explain some of these big things that happen outside of our control. Um, your goal becomes good enough. Because, again, like we said, there is no holy. Um, and you can't reach that. And so it just kind of becomes good enough. We have to find balance in our worship. We have to seek after knowing everything that we can um, about God. And, uh, and so hopefully we're going to be talking about these two different things, this transcendence of God and the imminence of God. We're going to talk about transcendence right now. And then we're going to sing songs about the awesomeness of God. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the closeness and the imminence of God. And we're going to, talk, we're going to sing about how God is close and he is near and he's relational and he's personal. Both sides are God. But if we only come to him as one and we don't see him as the other, then we're not truly seeing God as who he is. It's amazing if you think about it, how big God is and how close he is. I mean, try to wrap your mind around that sucker, right? I mean, it, it, you can't. Um, so let's talk about transcendence. So if, if you take notes, um, you can, on the back of your bulletin, you can write down transcendence. And, I, and there's a few words I want to describe um, characteristics of a transcendent God. One of them is holy, okay? Holy. Leviticus 11, 44 through 45, essentially says, be holy, for I am holy. Okay? In verse 45, it says, be holy, for I am holy. The Lord identifies himself. He says, this is who I am. And then he challenges us and says that, he, that we need to consecrate ourselves to that holiness. Okay? Now, how do we do that? And that word holy, I know, is just like, give me some ibuprofen, you know. How do you, understand, how do you get that? Um, the only way that we can consecrate ourselves to holiness is the grace given from a holy God. Amen. The only way that we can, uh, can, can consecrate ourselves to that is, is by the, the free grace that God gives us. Um, only a holy God can make a filthy person holy. So we serve a holy God. Another characteristic, another word with transcendence is that he is incomprehensible. Incomprehensible. We never fully understand God. You cannot ever fully understand God. 
And I, and, and I, I get that the world at the sound of that sentence will check out immediately right there because it's out of their control. Um, but the truth is he is incomprehensible. We can never fully understand him. Um, a couple of examples in Psalm 145.3, we see that God is infinite and we are finite. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. God is infinite. In our minds, our, 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 ourselves, we are finite creatures. Um, Romans 1.25-26 talks about sin. And the reason that we can't comprehend him is because sin has entered and distorted our view of what's really going on. It says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who was forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to the shameful lust, and even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. So you see an example there of distorted um, reality and, and distorted truth. So sin has entered um, and created this separation and this distortion of truth. Um, God has chosen not to reveal some things. Look at Deuteronomy 29, 29. This, this is uh, uh, an unpopular verse. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of his law. The secret things belong to our God. He has chosen not to reveal some things. And that's not an unloving father. That's a wise father. That's not an unloving father. It's a wise father. As with all good fathers, God's wisdom leads to refrain from answering all the questions his children ask him. Okay? Fathers in the room, do you guys answer completely, truthfully, honestly, every question that your children ask you? Um... Children, cover your ears. Um, no, not if they're not ready. Uh, you, don't, you don't share that with them. You know, a five-year-old asking where babies come from, okay, is a hard conversation to have. And if they're not ready to have that conversation, then you don't have that conversation. It's being a wise parent, right? It's not being unloving. It's not saying, well, I, don't, I just don't want you to get the best out of life, you know, son. So I'm not going to share everything with you, and you can go out and learn on your It's being a wise father, um, I know that, that we humans think that we can handle everything ourselves and find the answer to every question and have the right, uh, the right to everything under the sun, um, but we can't. Um, and there's, there's evidence all over. When God's in charge, um, you see the Garden of Eden, Eden. You see clarity. You see peace. You see love. You see perfection. When people are in charge, you see wars. And you see confusion. And you see divorce. And you see pain and you see suffering. And that's what happens when, when we're at the, at the realm. Um, in this book called The Hiding Place, has ever, anybody ever read The Hiding Place, like maybe in grade school or something? Anybody? Raise your hand. A couple. All right. Um, you smarties. Don't, don't, if I misquote something, then just come up and talk to me afterwards. Um, but in the, in the book The Hiding Place, uh, there's this girl named Corey Tinboom. It's about the Tinboom family. And, and Corey uh, was the, uh, the author of this book. And we see this Christian family in the midst of the Nazi movement uh, feeling compelled to help their Jewish brothers and sisters. And so what they did was they started to house these, um, these, uh, the Jews in their homes, you know, to obviously uh, protect them from the Nazis. And uh, God did amazing miracles through this family. Just did awesome stuff. Like you, there's so many stories in that book. It's a really good book, and, and, it's, and it's really short, easy read. But um, it's, it, there's so many great things God did. Um, through um, that family. But eventually they were caught and thrown into a Nazi prison camp and came many struggles. And usually when you, when you really step out on faith to follow God, um, 
struggles are going to happen. And, uh, and so Corey was having a hard time with this and was asking all the whys. Why would God do this? Why would God do that? And um, we've, we've all been there. And so Corey's father, Casper, um, I think taught her some things about God's timing and sovereignty. And uh, he said, uh, one of the things he said was, when we were at Amsterdam checking the clock at the train station, when do I give you the ticket? And she says, when we get to the train station. And he said, exactly, you get it when you need it. You didn't need it before you got to the train station. You got your ticket when you needed the ticket. Um, And the other thing he taught her, he said, do I ask you to carry uh, the large suitcases? And she says, no. And he says, well, why not? Because they're too heavy. God will reveal to us what uh, what we need when we need it. And until we need it, until it's time to give us that ticket to the train station, he won't give us the ticket to the train station because he's a loving and wise father. He will not give us uh, or reveal to us more than we can handle. He will not give us the large suitcases to carry if we can't handle those things. He's an incomprehensible God. Psalm seventy-seven, thirteen, I think, says it very well. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? Look at that verse again. Just look at it. Are your ways, O God, are holy? What God is so great as our God? So a transcendent God, he is holy. He is incomprehensible. Here's another word, very unpopular. Uh, His fearing. He is to be feared. Um, In uh, Psalm 211, it says it like this. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Um, and that, that term fear is, uh, I, I even still have a hard time kind of understanding it, but it's not the slave obeying the master because he's afraid of what the master might lash out on him. Uh, it's not the children of God or Christians doing things so that they don't get struck by lightning or bad things happen to them or, you know, lit on fire as they're walking into Walmart. It's not that kind of fear. The fear that we're talking about is an awesome respect of creatures before the Creator and obedient children before the Father. It's an awesome respect of creatures before the Creator, knowing that He has the entire world in His hands, that we are only creation, that we're just a small blip of a dot of a dust particle in the grand scheme of things, and that we know that we can serve Him and be obedient as His children. Our fear balances out our delight. We are to have delight in God, but we should also have fear. And that fear balances out the delight so that we don't become so buddy-buddy and forget that it is He who made us and not we ourselves. That it is God who made us. We didn't make us. Um, Our God is a consuming fire. Let's not tread lightly here this morning. As we we look into the Scripture as... um, we, we sing songs, and as we'll be praying, um, our natural tendency is going to kind of be to fall into our comfortable zone. Um, what we're used to, and, and as long as God doesn't, doesn't cross this line, then we're, we're cool, God. I'll keep going to church, and I'll keep giving. Um, that's not what worship is. And it's not to be walking in here and, and to just say, hey, and, and maybe you'll leave here today with a little bit of guilt. Maybe, you know, maybe some things that you need to, 
maybe need to change and evaluate because you, you love God and you see his scripture. I'm not talking about a little bit of guilt. I'm talking about our God as a consuming fire. Our God who requires face down worship. Um, I see a big difference in our Bible Belt worship and the encounters that, that people had with God in Scripture. And, and, it's, and it's frustrating because you read through and you just see things like Pentecost and then all the, the, when the apostles were leading all these and thousands were coming in and miracles were happening and wonderful things. And I, I just get tired of reading about that and not experiencing that. And the reason I don't experience that, one of those big reasons is maybe one, I don't truly understand and know how to come to God. And two, I just don't think he can do it because I haven't seen it. I haven't grown up with it. Um, This is how church is supposed to be, and we're kind of in this culture of that. You think people who truly understand the hugeness of God go home after it without being completely changed? That they may go home unscathed? I dare you to find yourself face down in worship this morning. I dare you. I know, I know your, your uh, Christian system processor right now is just like going haywire because you're like, what are you talking about? I've never seen that. People are going to call me crazy. Um, yeah, you, you maybe look that kind of weird because most people aren't used to seeing that kind of worship, but that's the worship we see in Scripture because God is worth it. Um, because God calls us to surrender everything. I dare you to find yourself face down in worship. I dare you to drop your knees Drop to your knees before a cosmic God and declare yourself unworthy in his presence. I dare you. I dare you to ask God to break you. That is a scary request. I dare you to cry because there is no other emotion that comes close to saying, God, I'm sick of the filth in my life. I dare you to sing to God. Not to the band, not to the screens. Not to the person in front of you or to the side of you. I dare you to sing to God. This huge, holy, transcendent God, our Creator. God of this universe, universes, galaxies, things beyond our comprehension. And uh, it's not a God that I can make, which is why I worship Him. Um, it's not a God that, that I can fully fathom. Uh, it's not God that I can give all the answers to. Um, he's not only a transcendent God, but He is an imminent God. Let's talk about that word imminent for a second, the closeness. Remember, imminence is a, a close, near God. A couple of, uh, of words that will describe imminence with. One of them is knowable. Uh, he is knowable. And, and that kind of, maybe, maybe it's, we just talked about him being incomprehensible and how we can't fully know him. Um, the incomprehensibility of God. Wow, that was a big word. The incomprehensibility of God could lead to despair in the quest to know God. But the Bible also teaches us that God is knowable. To just fully only say that God is incomprehensible um, will lead in despair because we can't, you know, we can't know him at all. But, but the Bible says that he is Knowable. Here's some scripture. Jeremiah 9:24 talks about a knowable God. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord.
the Lord. John 17, 3 um, says it like this. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Hebrews 8, 10 through 12. Um, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. God will never be known absolutely. But we can know things about him that are absolutely true. So much that we can be willing to live and die for those beliefs. And here's a few of those things. He is personal. He is relational. He is sufficient for fruitful, faithful, and godly living. Get that. Uh, Because I know that I'm not very good at that. I'm not very good at fruitful, faithful, godly living. But God and his his grace and his strength is sufficient for those things. Um, God's revelation and illumination should lead to eager, diligent, devoted study of his word and his prayer. The revelation, what God has told us about him, what he has revealed to us, what he has shown light upon, should, should get us running, jumping headfirst to the word to get to know him. Should, uh, should, should be so hard for us to drop on our knees daily, hourly, <laughs> praying to God because we can know him And if anything that I'm teaching this morning is going to slap me in the face, it's that. Uh, If you don't have a love relationship with God, then then the Bible, what this is, is it's a a really annoying to-do list. (laughs) Because you feel guilty about it every time that you don't do it. And then when you do it, you open it up and and it's black print on white paper. And praying is something that you're just supposed to say, God, thank you for this food. And it's kind of this routine thing. And you're like, I don't even know if God's really listening to me right now. I don't know if me asking that my, my um, sister to be healed of this disease is, is even going to matter. But, you know, I mean, what, what does that matter? But the revelation and illumination of who God is, what he has shown us, should bring us there eagerly and diligently. Um, you see Eastern philosophy and postmodern views very, very st- uh, strenuously talking about the incomprehensibility of a God. Um, they emphasize God's in- incomprehensibility so much that he is eventually to be made unknowable. Okay? So think about Buddhism and, and even just postmodern view, all of those things that God is just this incomprehensible, you know, he's this out there God, okay? Um, that he becomes unknowable. And then what happens is then it's impossible to say that anything is definitively true or false about him, isn't it? Because you don't know him, so then you can't say, well, then that, this is truth. I mean, especially postmodern, you guys, you, you know people like, like this, right? And we become people like this sometimes, but I mean, that's who God is to you, right? But, but to me, God is this. Well, if he can't be known, then who's to say what is definitively true or false? And that the only heresy is to say that there's heresy at all. Right? It, it just becomes that way. Um, he is a personal and close God in whom we should never grow apathetic to know more about. So he is knowable. In his eminence, he is also near. That is, uh, that is a word that I hope that we can do a study on sometime here. And, and I, can go, I want personally to go through that study because the nearness of God is 
such a cool concept. Here's a few things just to describe the nearness of God. Second Chronicles 16.9 talks about God being omnipresent in his creation. Omnipresent, another one of those big churchy words, okay? Um, that just means he is everywhere at all times. Um, he is omnipresent in his creation. It says, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Um, the eyes of the Lord, right, range to and fro. He is, he is in Mali right now with our team. He is in Asia right now with the underground believers. He is in Bentonville, Arkansas, Grace Point Church. He is everywhere. He is omnipresent in his creation. He is near. Another part of him being near um, is, is presence and his ministry through the Holy Spirit. It's not that, that God has to move his, place, his, his physical being from one place to the other, but his Holy Spirit dwells in us. Right? And the Holy Spirit, guys, whole nother uh, conversation, but the Holy Spirit is not this companion. It's not this sidekick. It's not this, you know, mini-me God. Okay? It is God. God in us. And there's a reason. It's kind of weird to, to, when you read the scriptures and Jesus says, there's going to be somebody coming after me that's, uh, that's going to do, do even greater things. And you're going to be in better hands. Right? Uh, do we understand that? Do we understand that we have... The, the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts so much that it's better to have that than to have Jesus himself standing in this room. The Holy Spirit's ministry to us, dwelling in his people so that he is ever-present with every believer, no matter where he or she might be, it is the Holy Spirit of God who conveys the presence of God to his people. He is near through the Holy Spirit. He's also near and present with us through his word. Deuteronomy thirty fourteen. Um, says it like this. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your hearts so that you may obey it. And then right after that, Psalm 119, 151 says, Yet you are near, O Lord, and all your commands are true. He is present through his word. So he is near in his omnipresence. He is near through the ministry of his Holy Spirit. He is near through and present through his word. He's also near in certain times um, that we see in scripture. He is near in our time of need. Look at Hebrews 4.16. Uh, in our time of need, he is near. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Second Corinthians 6 talks about him being near when we confess and forsake our sins. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Psalm 34, 18 says that he is near when we are brokenhearted. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. He is near when we treat him as holy. Leviticus 10, 10, 3. Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke to me when he said, Among those who approach me, I will show myself holy in the sight of all the people. I will be honored. And then James 4.8 says that he is near when we draw near to him. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. God is near, right, in all of those. When we come to him and say, God, I need you, he's near. And we come to him and say, God, here's my sin, and God, I want to repent and, and, and forsake those sins. He is near. When we come to him broken hearted, he is near. When we treat him as holy, when we say, Lord, you're the Lord of all, you're the great God, no other God is like you, the God of this universe, he is near. He is near when we draw near to him. God is near.
He's not only knowable, he's not only near, but he's our friend. We see that in Psalm 25, 14. That God is our friend. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. Romans 8 says that he is our daddy. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. In 15, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. He is our bridegroom. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He is near. God. In this place, in your heart, if you have a relationship with Him. If you don't, if you if you just don't if you don't know that you have a relationship with God, that all God has been to you has kind of been this big bully, you know, um, like the nun coming up behind you to swat you on the neck, you know, because you're not doing your job. Or the master, you're afraid of what he's going to do to you, or you just kind of he just makes you feel guilty all the time. He's also near. He wants relationship. Maybe if that's how you've seen God. Um, and that's all that you can you have in your mind, you can't get that out of your mind, maybe you need to start a relationship with God today. Through His Son, Jesus Christ, confessing and forsaking your sins. God, I am a sinner. I nailed this on the cross. Lord, you paid my price. And at that moment, you can do it here this morning. We're not going to have a response time where you come forward, but you can do it here this morning. You can do it in your, in your bedroom when you get home. You can do it at the bottom of the hill when you're done sledding today. You can start that relationship with God. In that very second, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, comes to live inside of you to teach us about these things. A holy, transcendent God, an imminent and near and close and personal God. We want to encourage you this morning. We, uh, would you bow your heads? Um, we want to minister to you this morning in a way that 